Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When it comes to the heavy hitters of the Bible, Moses easily makes any given list. This guy was amazing. How many movies have been made about Moses in the last century? How many hours have been spent recounting the mighty deeds of Moses over the last 3,400 years? Moses was a really big deal. Our Old Testament reading says that Moses was a really big deal. It says the Lord knew Moses face to face. Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, parted the waters of the Red Sea, brought down the law from God from the heights of Mount Sinai. Moses successfully led the people of Israel for decades, even though he took up the task at something like 80 years old. Can you imagine starting a new career at 80? That's what Moses did. If you count backwards 40 years of the wilderness wanderings from his death at age 120, there he is, 80 years old. Moses was a one-of-a-kind prophet. But because Moses had disobeyed God by striking the rock to produce water at Meribah, Moses never got to enter the promised land. One chapter earlier in Deuteronomy, God gives Moses some instructions that nobody would want to hear. He says, go up this mountain of Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for possession. And die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people. How would you like to hear that from God? Hey, buddy, go climb up that mountain and die. So after blessing the people of Israel one more time, that's exactly what Moses did. That's our reading for today. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him, meaning the Lord, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. This is the description of the death of Moses at the end of the Torah, the last chapter of Deuteronomy. It's a rather sad ending to such a prolific life. Moses did so much for the people of Israel, but even he couldn't enter the promised land. Can you imagine the disappointment? You've been leading around a huge group of people for 40 years, taking them to the land promised to your ancestors. They treat you like garbage. They grumble constantly. And once you're in view of the place, then you're told that it's time to die and that you can never enter in. And to make things more disappointing, Deuteronomy says that Moses was 120 years old still had his vision intact, and he was full of energy and health. Can you imagine that feeling? I mean, none of us can really imagine being 120 with good eyesight and full energy, but God also had so much more in mind for Moses than we could ever imagine. 
More than just simply stepping foot in the promised land. And he has so much more in store for you too. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus brings his three right-hand men with him up on the mountain to pray. Now, a lot had happened recently with the disciples. Jesus had sent out the 12 apostles. Peter had confessed Jesus as the Christ, and Jesus had foretold his death and resurrection. And now I'm sure that these three, Peter, John, and James, feel pretty special going up with Jesus on this retreat. Here's a sneak peek into who Jesus really is. Luke records that while Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white, or literally, it became white like lightning. White lightning is not just for moonshine. All of a sudden, there are two men talking with Jesus who are Moses and Elijah. Now, how the disciples knew that this was Moses and Elijah is beyond me. Pastor Pierce had always suggested that maybe they were wearing name tags, but who's to say? Have you ever fallen asleep on an airplane or a train and woken up to the sound of somebody else's conversation? You didn't hear the beginning of it, and you don't even know exactly who they're speaking to. Maybe you overhear a few lines of somebody's conversation not knowing the rest of what's going on. I'm not talking about eavesdropping, just waking up or entering into the middle of a conversation. It can be so confusing. It's also, I think, why it's so easy to get irritated when there's someone talking on their cell phone in an elevator. You can only hear one half of the conversation. Can you imagine what in the world was going through the minds of Peter, John, and James as they woke up to such a scene? Luke says that they were weighed down with sleep. And when they fully woke up, this is what they saw. The glory of Jesus and the two men standing there with him who also had appeared in glory. We might be wondering what in the world Luke means by glory. What does it look like to be standing in glory? But most likely, and I think this is a pretty strong possibility, he's referring to an Old Testament understanding of glory. As in when the glory of the Lord filled the temple or the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Now in the Old Testament, the phrase glory of the Lord literally means a heaviness. And there are always thick clouds involved. We can see this in Isaiah 6 at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 5. The glory, the temple was dedicated, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It says that when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This is the kind of heaviness, glory, thick clouds that Peter, John, and James awakened to on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, who knows exactly what they were talking about exactly, but Luke says that they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Well, your English Bible says that, but what Luke actually wrote was that they spoke of his exodus. Tain Exodon, his exodus, which he was preparing to fulfill in Jerusalem. Now, both of these guys talking with Jesus know a thing or two about exodus, or about exits anyway. Moses had led the great exodus from Egypt, and Elijah had quite an exit himself. 
where God took him directly to heaven in a whirlwind. But the exodus that Jesus was about to fulfill was not taking the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He was about to carry out the exodus of humanity from the powers of sin, death, and the devil. This is what Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about when, Luke, when Peter, James, and John woke up. Now, the transfiguration is one of my absolute favorite days of the church year. It is one of the most Old Testament rich events in the Gospels. It really is the cornerstone, the capstone piece to the whole season of Epiphany, which is all about Jesus being revealed. Nearly every single word of this text is dripping with the fulfillment of Old Testament promise. Jesus himself fills out all of the Hebrew Bible. And here, Peter, John, and James get a little glimpse of it. Now, Peter, John, and James were sleeping, and they awoke to this situation. This directly recalls God visiting Abraham in Genesis 15, as Abraham is waking from a dream, and God is standing there with him, promising to bless the entire world through him. So Peter chimes in naturally, well, let's build three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Luke says he really didn't know what he was saying. Peter didn't quite understand it all yet. That was yet to be revealed. Jesus had just told them right before this that he would suffer, die, and rise again. And then would there be glory. Peter sees the glory now and just wants to stay there forever. Jesus, can't we just skip all that cross and death stuff and just hang out here for a while? Our people lived in tents for 40 years. Surely we could wait a little while in this awesome place before you go to the cross. Peter didn't understand that this glimpse of glory was not in spite of the cross where Jesus would fulfill this exodus, but because of it. That was the topic of conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, heading to the cross, in order to free all of God's people from slavery. The cross cannot be separated from God's glory, from Jesus' glory. It is Jesus' glory, his greatest rescue mission in human history, an exodus for all of humanity once and for all. Now, we established that we don't really know how the disciples recognized that it was Moses and Elijah. Name tags works fine in my mind. But there's a pretty strong indication of why it would be Moses and Elijah based on what's happening. Frankly put, the law represented by Moses and received by Moses for Israel's sake, the law testifies to Jesus who would someday fulfill it completely. Secondly, Elijah was a prophet par excellence, a prophet's prophet. God took him directly to heaven and promised to send another one someday to prepare the way for the Messiah. God did so in the person of John the Baptist. Elijah would be a perfect representative of all of God's prophets, especially after his mountaintop showdown with the prophets of Baal. Elsewhere, Jesus says in various ways, the law and the prophets testify to me. I had an Old Testament professor who refused to call the Hebrew scriptures the Old Testament. 
because of the absolute unending continuity between the Old and New Testaments. He would only refer to the first part of the Bible, the first 39 books of the Bible, in the way that Jesus does in the Gospels, calling it Moses and the Prophets. The New Testament is clearly about Jesus, but the Transfiguration demonstrates that the Old Testament is clearly about Jesus, too. And so just like when Moses would leave the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, his face would be glowing white from the presence of the glory of God. And just as when Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple, the glory of the Lord filled the temple, now here standing before Peter, John, James, Moses, and Elijah is the glory of the Lord in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God's chosen one. Yesterday marked the fifth anniversary of the dedication of our expansion project. Can you believe it's been five years already? It just got me thinking about that when you see the references here to the dedication of Solomon's temple. But better than any temple, here is the glory of God and the temple of God, God himself standing in front of them face to face. This was not Jesus reflecting the brilliant glow of the glory of God like Moses did. He is the glory of God. And the glory of God, Jesus Christ, is to be listened to, says the Father. In fact, the words that the Father speaks here are nearly a direct quote of what he had spoken earlier at the end of Deuteronomy concerning the death of Moses. I will raise up another prophet like Moses from among your people. Listen to him. And here he is, God's chosen one, God's glory, God's Messiah, God's own son, and all of the brilliant, dazzling, white lightning glory that is his and his alone. Hallelujah! Now, I'm going to teach you a little Greek here because it's very important and very fun to say. Are you with me? Don't be scared. Give it a try. The Father in heaven speaks concerning Jesus. Autu akuate. Now, give it a try. Autu akuate. There you go. You just learned some Greek. It sounds like the word acoustic, right? Which deals with sound and hearing, but especially with listening. Here is the word of God made flesh. Listen to him, the father says. And the grammar here gives us even more than what you'd expect. It is a present tense imperative meaning... Listen to him now and keep on listening forever. Autu akuate. You got it. You guys are awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll start doing Greek on Wednesday morning Bible class instead of... <laughs> Luke says, And when the voice had spoken, they found Jesus only. Or Jesus alone. You see, it is... Jesus alone, who is the voice of God, who graciously speaks to us. It is Jesus who fulfills all of God's law on our behalf and fulfills all of God's promises to us. It is Jesus alone who is the glory of the one true God who was made manifest among us. It is Jesus alone whom we trust for our salvation. 
Moses was an amazing servant of God and his life and his ministry testified to Jesus. Elijah and all the prophets brought warning and promise to God's people. (coughs) Sorry. That was unavoidable. Moses... Elijah and all the prophets brought warning and promise to God's people. And all of these prophets, those that wrote their own books and those that were recorded in the chronological histories, all of them testify to Jesus, says Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God that illuminated Moses' face with dazzling brilliance, the glory that filled the temple of meeting, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the temple in Jerusalem. Filled all of them with a thick cloud. Jesus is the glory that led the people of Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Jesus alone guides each one of us on our exodus from sin and death into his promised kingdom to live with him forever. It is by the grace of Jesus alone that Moses stood upon this mountain in the promised land on a high mountain in Israel and not Mount Nebo in Moab where he had gone up to die. Think about that for a second. The shocking part of this event is that even Moses, as mighty as he was in faith, word, and deed, does not enter the promised land by works, but because of Jesus alone. Moses, who had been forbidden from entering the promised land, now stands on Israel's soil, on Israel's high mountain, because of Jesus Christ alone. Autu akuate. Listen to him. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please rise and, and... Confess our faith together.